You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. How many of you have had a family games night at some point and it was intended to be like this? Isn't that just a picture of a lovely, happy family? Oh, this is so sweet. You know, in about ten minutes' time, it's going to turn out like that. <laughs> and then about five minutes after that, it's going to look like that. <laughs> um, I, there's a member of my family. Now, this is going out as a podcast, so I've got a bit of caution here. And then I'm not telling you whether that's a sibling or a wider family or a distant cousin or whatever. There's a member of my family who I remember playing... Monopoly with the family, and, uh, and it was all going so well, he was really happy, and, um, and then at one point I think I bankrupted him, well, I did something that he didn't like, and I'm not kidding, the whole like, board just turned over, it was like, honestly, it was like going through money lenders in the temple, <laughs> you know, the whole lot went flying, Monopoly money flying everywhere, there was rough right there, because I had made him lose, or head towards losing. Another member of my family, and I will name her, Jenny, my sister, was playing chess recently with her husband. She's never played it before, and he's always kind of projected that he's quite good at chess. Uh, so she decided to give him a game, and he was like, are you sure? He's a Scotsman, so he's like, are you sure? Or something like that. I was like, no, <laughs> Jess is shaking her head in dismay at him. He said, are you sure? She said, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a game. And so she played the game, it lasted a little while, and inevitably, she lost. But what she discovered through that game is something of her personality, something of her character that she hadn't really put her thumb on before. And it was this, that throughout the game, she was playing defensively. She was just reacting to the moves that her husband Brian was putting in place. He had her, the whole game, I think, wrapped around his finger, and she was just trying to survive, just trying to stay out of trouble, just trying to get a respectable finish. Because you don't want to be checkmated in three moves. You, know, you want to get at least 10 or 12 moves into the game before you're checkmated. And so she realised she was in the game to survive, and she suddenly realised there's something about my character in that, that that's how I am in life. I'm a reactor, I react to things rather than proactively go forward. Her husband, on the other hand, he was chasing the victory the whole time. Mm. He didn't care that it was his wife. <laughs> you know, and if ever, like, if I'm playing your kids or your grandkids at a sport, I'm not going to let them win. Because <laughs> they need to learn a lesson there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in it to win it. I don't care if they're poor. <laughs> My first day at Moreland's Bible College, so we were playing football, and it was this big fellowship day, and we are all getting together with our fellow Bible College students, and and there was this one guy in my year called Jonathan Gardner, about the same age as me, and he had, he had some great kids that were there, I guess they're all grown up now as well, but he had some great kids there, and I was playing football, I'm not great at football, but I used to think I'd defend it like Beckham, and so I had this cross coming up, and I came up and I, I hooped it, and I, like literally, his kid ran across the pitch just at the wrong time, like a five-year-old, six-year-old, and the cross is a perfect like arc of a cross like that, but from the moment it left my foot, I could see it, and I was just like, oh no, and it literally took him out, like leveled him. From that moment on, for the 
the next three years, my relationship with Jonathan Gardner was always that little bit awkward. So I was the guy that knocked out his son with a football on day one. Are you playing defensively? Or are you in it for the victory? So, our series context, we're, we're currently spending a bit of time looking at our vision and our values. Uh, and this is really important. We've said this for the last couple of weeks. We want to make it so clear to you that you know where we're going and how we should behave as we head in that direction. Because my behaviour and your behaviour will impact whether we get to the end of that vision or not. And it will impact how we do that, how, how much of a heartbreak it would be to get there. It will affect all of that. So our behaviours are really important. And last week, we looked at a statement that sits above... The, the values, and it says that we are an expectantly courageous people, and I unpacked that a little bit last week, about saying that it's about pushing ahead with courage, even when it's a bit scary, and I hope you, you took something from that, and not just that I'm a, <laughs> a, a, a quivering rat half of the week, I'm not really, it's not that bad, honestly. I spoke a bit about courage and expectation. But actually the statement says this, that we are an expectantly courageous people, but we are a people. A people. That's important. Take the expectant and courageous bit out of it and hear this. We are a people. We're not just individuals. We're a people. A group. A collective. A family. This is really important that we understand this language here. We are a people. We are together. <laughs> this isn't about having individual satisfaction and fulfilment. We're a people. This isn't about having one person up front who is like the spokesperson, however cool and good looking they might be. <laughs> I thought I'd try to get out there, but it worked. <laughs> We're a people. It's not about the person at the front. This is not about having a core team that do all the work. You know, there's a statistic out there uh, that's been there for years that says that 80% of the work of the church is done by 20% of the people. But it's not about having that core 20% team. It's about being a people. And it's not about having a building. It's appropriate, because we're here. It's about being a people. In fact, the word church has always meant ecclesia, which really is the Greek word for gathering, or multitude, or assembly, or congregation. Okay, because you can have a congregation that isn't a church congregation. You, the football crowds, that's a congregation of people. And that's what ecclesia means. And this is what Jesus is meaning when he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is the builder and the owner. God is the builder and the owner of the church. And yet somehow, so often, we make it about the building, or we make it about the tradition, and more recently, about the experience. We, we try to establish our own ownership of something that does not belong to us, and never has, and never will. In fact, it's this way around. The church does not belong to us, but we belong to the church. Because we belong to him. 
I've heard so many people complain about not getting anything from church. Like, it exists as an organisation ju- just to satisfy them. I- I'm not, I'm really, I've not heard that in this church, okay? I'm not saying it doesn't exist as a thought, but I've not heard it from any of you. But I have heard, through, through ten years or so of, of ministry in various forms, I've heard that, people complaining, and if I'm honest, I've done it myself on more than one occasion. I've been to churches and I've thought, I'm not going back there because I'm not really getting anything from them. And I think when I do that, I've missed the point. And I say, I'm putting this onto me because I I promise you, I've done this and I probably will do it at some point. But, But we kind of miss the point because it's not about what we can get, but about how we can give, how we can serve Him through the church, throughout our lives. It's not a spectator sport. Because if we really get it, if we really understand the gospel, if we really understand what I've been talking about this morning, of that accessibility into the presence of God, then, then we know it's not about the church serving us, but it's about us serving Jesus and serving each other. You know, there's that old, it's a bit cheesy... <laughs> but it, that, that whole thing about joy, Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Somehow I get that mixed up and I kind of go, Jesus first, others last, myself in between. And JMO, I don't know, it sounds like a shopping channel, doesn't it? To demonstrate true understanding of the nature of church, it means that we have to live sacrificially. What is required of you? This morning, as a believer and as a member of his church, sacrifice. Now, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he hasn't done himself, because he's paid the ultimate sacrifice. Romans 12 says this Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But wait a minute. Worship is sacrifice. How, how does that kind of compute? How is singing songs and playing music a sacrifice? Unless you've maybe been through one of those worship marathons, you know, where you've done like 20 repeats at the end of the chorus, and you're just getting to the point where you're like, I just want to sit down there. And maybe, maybe there it might feel a bit like a sacrifice here. Well, I'll keep going. I'll keep praising God because everyone else is. Don't want to be on my own. Listen, there's no point to singing the songs that we sing, however we feel when we sing them, if there's nothing more to our understanding of worship than singing the songs. Because this... What Ian was doing this morning, what we were joining him in, was an expression of worship. In and of itself, that's not worship. It's an expression of worship. Me saying, I love you, Jess, actually is an expression. I love you. I like it. You know where I'm at, boys. You know. Me just saying it, it should reflect something that's going on here. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just hot air. So worship, true worship, 
puts Jesus first. Every time. And sometimes that might look like putting other people first. For his glory. Even when it hurts. There are people that I have no problem putting first. You know, I used to have this phrase, got a lot of time for that person. What that meant is, I like spending time with them. They're my kind of person. You know, Jesus calls you to something a bit more radical than that. What he calls you to is to spend a bit more time with a person that you can't stand. <laughs> Just turns it all upside down, doesn't it? The person that really befuddles you. The person that really just gets your goat and winds you up. The person that's got a face that looks like you can smack it all day long. <laughs> Jesus calls you to love. And, and, and actually, you coming and hands up and worshiping God, if you've got resentment in your heart towards somebody else, actually, I think that's probably offensive to God at that stage. Think. And now, don't get me wrong, I, I know I've done it. I know I've done it because I'm exactly the same as the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> the music and songs are a way to express adoration and the awe that we have for him, but that's it. It's an expression, a vocalization of what's going on. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. <laughs> True worship might hurt your free time. It might hurt your bank account. It might hurt your heart. It might cost you your security. It might cost you your dreams and your desires because true worship is sacrificial. It's entirely different to how society concludes that we should live. And the next verse says this. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. The renewing of your mind. Not the renewal, but the renewing. Do you see there's a difference there? The renewal means it's happened. I don't need to worry about that anymore. It's a done deal. My mind is transformed and I'm renewed. (laughs) But actually, what this says is the renewing of your mind. Which means every day you get up, there's more renewing to happen. Until the day where you don't get up. And then you're transformed fully into his likeness anyway. Are you with me? Yeah. Good. The pattern of this world makes it about us every time. Satisfy, fill, claim, hoard, protect, make it all about me. I feel, I want, I need, my rights. And we're, we're not to be like that, which seems pretty odd to them. Maybe it seems pretty odd to you. But this is what the Bible says about us as a people. It says we're a peculiar people. In some cases, true in others. We're a peculiar people. Now, don't get me wrong, church should be good. You should feel something emotional. I believe that. You should feel a connection with the King of Kings. That, I don't believe that you can have a connection with a God who loves you so deeply that he would give his life for you on the cross. I don't believe that you can have a relationship with him without it involving your heart, without it involving your emotions. It can't just be your intellect, because your intellect, well, I'm sorry guys, but the heart, the mind, above all things, is kind of deceitful, isn't it? Our thoughts are deceitful. When Jesus says the heart, above all things, is deceitful, he's talking about the whole working inside of us. We deceive ourselves constantly. 
Church should be good. It should increase your joy. It should cause you to grow. It should decorate your life. I, I was so gutted recently that I did our Christmas tree uh, in our new house. And, and I think it's the best tree that I ever did. I mean, it was fantastic. It was colour-coordinated. The bubbles were all nicely allocated around, you know, big bubbles at the bottom, small ones at the top, star on the top of the tree. I was impressed. I could have gone to work with Eminence in that window I was feeling it. And I, I know Jess is impressed. She didn't say it. So she didn't think it too. So I know that she was well impressed with it. And then I went to Abby and Andrew's house and I was just like, I'm just going to go trick over my tree right now. <laughs> Honestly, I should have taken a photo because, honestly, that girl and creativity is just, like, off the chart. And she's my niece and I love her, but... <laughs> Church should decorate you. It should decorate your life. It should decorate your face with a smile. Honestly. And it, and it should support you in your needs. So you should get something out of church, but that's not the reason we come for it, to it. But it, it should mean that we're here as a collective for your fears and your insecurities, for your hang-ups and your doubts and your hurts, when you're in trouble, when you experience loss. Church is here for that. But church doesn't mean that the leadership have to get their act together and make sure they're flying all around. It's the church. We look after each other. All we're doing as leaders is we're trying to facilitate that and have that to grow in the collective. Because we look after each other. And, you know, I think we have the capacity and the compulsion to take something that's really good, God-anointed, God-instituted, and somehow make it all about us and corrupt it and miss the point of it completely. God really dislikes it when we, when we take something good that he instituted and then warp it into something else. Great example of that, if you want to really consider it, is sex. Like God instituted that. That's a God-given thing. It's meant to be good. But you see the way the world has taken it and warped it. And so now, it doesn't look so good if you're looking at the Christian perspective of it. But actually the best is the Christian perspective of it. We take something that God's given that's pleasing for us and a benefit to us and we walk it. We make it ours. We make it all about us. And we do this all the time. And we sing, It's all about me. Jesus, it's not about you. You know, we, honestly, we do that a lot. Worship in truth is a decisive way of life. A decisive way of life that puts Jesus at the centre and puts ourselves, others ahead of ourselves. That is a living sacrifice. If you want to know God, if you want to understand what he wants for your life, what pleases him, what his will is, what his purpose is for you, that we need to stop thinking with the thought patterns of this world. In other words, we need to stop thinking about ourselves and think outside of that very limited box that is us. We're a people. Together we serve him. And now that we've established that we're a people and what that means to be a people, we're going to take a quick look at our first value. I'm really going to try and get this on time, okay? But I don't want to rush it. Are you guys okay? If you start getting bored, just put your hand up. <laughs> we're we're Pentecostal, so I think I'll, I'll just take your word for it, but just put your hand up, sorry. <laughs> we value 
being part of something that is bigger than ourselves. As such, we are committed to each other, to the church, and to the people of the town. We are full of faith. We are selfless, and we will endure the times of wilderness in order to reach the promise. We are involved with the meetings and in the work of the church. We are active participants and not passive observers. We believe that the joy and the reality of the kingdom of Jesus is most wonderfully, fully and beautifully uh, expressed when we are serving each other and the world from a heart of love. We value being part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Because to engage means that it's not about us, it's about the big picture. It's about more than just what I can get out of this. It's all about him. Mm-hmm. So, so we are a people that are part of something bigger than ourselves. That's the first value. If you don't feel that you are here to be part of something that is bigger than you, please keep coming, but I'm going to keep challenging you. Because you're here for something that is bigger than you. And we're committed. We are a people engaged, and that means that we are committed. We're committed to each other, and we're committed to this town. So we pray. We be light. We, we speak. We care. We take interest. We promote. We, we are the salt to be rubbed into the surface of this town. Now, now that salt can be painful... And salt can be healing. Salt's a preserver, but salt also adds flavour. These are ways that we need to be committed to each other and to the town. But sometimes being salt will mean that you're hurt, because it might mean you challenge somebody, and that's like just rubbing salt in an infection or wound. That hurts. But by doing that, what you're doing is actually healing. I had a dental appointment this week. I've got a few more to go. I hate the dentist. Not, not the guy. <laughs> just the, the, the physician. Just can't stand them. Had to buy with them. <laughs> like, if, I, if there's a real phobia that I have, apart from wasps, dentists. That's it. And, and he came out and he said, you're just going to feel a sharp scratch. I'm like, yeah, you're right. A sharp scratch. You might feel a sharp thump. <laughs> and he puts his needle into the back of my jaw. And then he says, one more. Another sharp scratch. It hurts. But within five minutes, I can't feel a thing. Right, and, you know, once I had root canal, I tried to play the trumpet afterwards. And I came back and it was just like, and all this like gruel just came out the side of my mouth. You didn't need to know that, I'm sorry. It was too much information. What does it mean to be committed? It means that we, we don't and we won't give up on each other. It means that we won't backstab each other. It means that we won't gossip about each other. It means that we'll be there for each other as much as practically possible even if we don't like each other. You've seen the picture here that we're having a vision for this community. This community doesn't work without these kind of characteristics involved. But we're full of faith. We're not wrapped with fear. Our eyes are in the right direction. And what I said last week about fear is that yes, I experienced fear in my own life and I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But I'm not controlled by that fear. I'm controlled by where I'm looking at Jesus. If I'm looking at the fear, then I'm controlled by the fear. If I look at Jesus, I'm controlled by Jesus. 
Control is probably a strong word there, but you, you, hopefully you get what I mean. We're looking in the right direction. We're selfless. Each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we're serving. Built to endure. Alive in the wilderness. You know, can you go through the trials of life and be alive in the midst of it? If this is the size of the church for the next 10 years and we're just keeping our eye on our vision for the future, but this is our reality for the next 10 years, can we stay alive in that wilderness? Can we, can we say, you know, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Can we keep fixing our eyes on him who's the author and perfecter? But we're waiting for the promise and expecting to do God, and God to do great things, even if he doesn't do our great things. And then to be involved, it means to be a people who are involved with meetings and in the work of the church. That we're a collective, we're a people. This isn't about a ministry just imparting things to you all the time. You can impart to each other. Do you know how encouraging it is for the person next to you when you just let go and go for it and worship? And now I'm talking about the musical side of it, the expressive side of it. If you really just express yourself and you're just like, I don't care who's watching. I, I just want to worship Jesus because I love him for what he's done in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do that, what, what you're doing, even if they don't respond in the same way as you, you're affecting the person next to you. And when you pray out from here, you're, you're encouraging somebody who might feel a bit shy about doing that to pray out. And they just say, I don't care if you get your hair on. I, I don't. Like, because the, the heart is the more important thing here. That, that you feel that you can just say, God, I love you. Mm-hmm. I want to express that to you. I, I don't have all my theology nailed down, but, but I know that there's something going on here that I can't keep quiet about. To be involved. It means to be active participants, not just passive observers or bystanders. In other words, we're not simply here for our own comfort and satisfaction, not here for the food or the social interactions, or because we've been taught that this is where we should be on a Sunday. Now, very quickly, football. Interesting thing here. Because a manager, the England manager, toughest job in the world, I think, honestly. Because the minute the guy's in management, the whole press and the whole nation's like, Whoo! on top of him, like, criticising straight away. The thing is, and even I've done this, everyone thinks they know how to do his job. <laughs> but nobody wants to. But everyone thinks they know better. The manager is responsible, the staff are assisting that responsibility, the players are outworking that responsibility, and the supporters are watching and eating pies. That's not the model of church that we're heading towards. Where, where, you know, I've got responsibility here and the leadership team help me and assist me in that responsibility, and then there might be a couple of other players, like worship players and musicians, that are kind of outworking that responsibility, and then everyone else is just a, a pie-eating bystander. That's not what church is all about. If you ask me, by the way, who I support, I supported Man U when I was a kid, because, well, my brother Peter and because Man U were the best team in the world. Um, then I supported Liverpool uh, when I was at school because of peer pressure. Everyone supported Liverpool, so hey, I'm going to support Liverpool. Uh, and then I supported Portsmouth because I moved to Gosport, and so it seemed like Portsmouth was a sensible place to support. And then finally I supported Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon I have to add, because of my sister. And she supported Wimbledon since 1988 when they won the FA Cup final against Liverpool, in which I tore my scarf from top to bottom. Like the curtain. <laughs> Here's the thing. Supporters are fickle. Supporters, even the most diehard supporters, they're fickle. They've all got their limit. 
And we like playing church where we've got our limit. And when, when we get to the point where we're not really winning it, I'm going to go find another place that's winning it. That's not what we're called to as a church. Now, you're not locked in. You can leave at any time. You know, and I'd be gutted if any of you do decide to go get it. But we want to bless you. We don't want to make you feel like you're bound up and tied in. But listen, active participants are involved. And they're serving. And this is a biggie. As a believer, not only could you be serving, but you should be serving. I can't dress that up in any other way for you if you don't like it. You're not serving for your own pleasure, you're not serving for money. As a believer, you're called to serve. I, I want to make this very, very explicit today. Because if you don't serve, and I'll quantify that in a minute, but if you don't serve, then really, you're ignoring the life of Jesus. Because everything from birth to resurrection was about serving you. The servant king. The one who laid aside his majesty. He could have just gone the other direction and said, you guys have screwed this up. I'm off. And yet he came to serve us. Now if the king becomes the servant, how can we, the servant, make ourselves the king? So as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be serving him and each other. Through the church, this one way, through your lives. But, and this is a really important caveat, this needs to happen with the right motive, the right intention. It needs to be done from a heart of selfless joy that delights in serving. I am going to overshoot a little bit, please forgive me. It's really worth it. If you don't want to serve, don't serve. I mean that, I'm not going to judge you for it. If you don't want to be an active participant, don't be. I, I'm not wanting to force you, and I'm not wanting you to feel forced yourself. If the thought of getting involved seems annoying to you, or if it seems presumptuous of us, if it's going to make you mad, if it's going to you know, get you all worked up and hot and bothered about things, then, then just don't. Because in fact, we'd rather, if that's how you feel, we'd rather you don't serve. Like, seriously. Because if you're doing something begrudgingly, because you feel forced to it into it, well, that's no good for you. It's no good for the rest of us. And it's no good for the kingdom of God. Honestly, I won't think less of you. I mean that. If you choose not to serve. And I won't think more of you if you do decide to serve. Because that's not what this is about. You know, Christianity is not a rewards-based scheme. It's not a biblical version of karma. There is a sense of sowing and reaping, but you're not in this. Like, if I do this for God, God will do this for me. Rubbish. That is not how God operates. Because if, if that was how God operates, Jesus would have never died on the cross. Because what you earned at that point? It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. So if you think that the more the better you behave, the more joy you'll have in your life, just ditch that thought right now. It is poppycock, it is rubbish, it is crack. Get it out of the way. 
And this is the unconditional part. Uh, I'm called to serve you unconditionally. I'm called to serve Jesus unconditionally. He served me unconditionally. We're called to serve each other unconditionally. And I'm not asking you, uh, I'm not asking that you serve me or the leadership. We're not your boss. We're not your God. I'm asking that we serve Jesus by serving each other. And serving the church and serving the world. We, we serve because we love Jesus. And serving is the grateful and worshipful overflow of our heart that delights him. We serve each other because in demonstrating his love for us and in his saving through the cross, he has unleashed the same love in our hearts with the same power that raised him from the dead. And as I bring this to a conclusion today, and perhaps I should say, as we continue through this series, there will be things that are challenging. Perhaps a sense of the fact that I'm not there yet, you're not there yet. You might be feeling that this morning, you might be feeling an element of conviction this morning. I'm not there yet, this is a hard word, I, I, this is pressing down. Listen, I want to tell you that I know that. I want you to know that I know that. I, I, I know that this kind of almost feels like a little burden on us. I, I know that. I know that. You, you may, might feel that this pinpoints an issue or a weakness or an error in your own life and character, and I want you to know that the same will be true for me. But that's the point of preaching. Like, there's literally no point of preaching if we're already there. There's, there's no point of me bringing a word, a, a, a scripture to you today, if you're already there. I mean, what would the point of that be? There's, there's no point... Like, I can't come and teach you about building ovens because you're already there. You already know how to do it. I can't teach Eddie about fire the flame. He's already there. There'd be no point in why I could read the manual to him. There's no point. He knows it. So preaching is because we're not there yet. So don't worry. Because life is a progression where we're being renewed. It's an ongoing process. Sometimes things will go really well and they're really enjoyable, and so we'll find that we're happy to be involved. But what happens if for a time you don't feel like it's going your way in your church life, or in your life? Are you going to be like my family member, who was okay when he was winning it, but the second it started to go pear-shaped and peaked on, over goes the game? When it's not what you want it to be, are you going to think it heals it? When, when life doesn't work out the way you want, are you going to lie down and drum your heels into the ground? Or, or are you going to choose to step forward and be a participant, be actively involved, be committed and love each other? Are, are you willing to engage, be active, be involved, even when it doesn't look like it will completely suit you? In life and in the church, are you simply playing defensively? just to survive, just to get through, trying to hang on? Or are you in it to pursue the victory that is already yours through Jesus Christ? What's the point of stating these values? Recognising the purpose of the church globally and the vision of values of this church locally will help prevent you from falling off the edge if something changes. And it will help you to unlock and experience the type of abundant life that Jesus has for you.
Are you prepared to engage with this church and learn to engage and develop our engagement with the church because we love Jesus and that outpouring of that love for him says, I just want to do what he wants me to do. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for the leadership of the church. Do it for Jesus. I think we don't do it just for yourself. If you're going to do it, do it for Jesus. Arms wide open, heart wide open, eyes open. Are we ready? Father,